Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Oliver McTaggart. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, why are you laughing? That's my middle name. Um, we are almost at the end of 1 John. Yay! It's probably really loud on the microphone. Um, that's right. In a couple weeks, it will be Advent, and this series will be leaving office. And hopefully, it will be a peaceful transfer of sermon series. That was a joke. You can laugh. Right. Yeah, thanks. Um, I want to give a shout out to Nelson, uh, who has arranged and done the bulk of the preaching in this series. Just really appreciate his work. Also, shout out to Blythe, who's been on maternity leave and hasn't been able to preach, but is coming back soon. Uh, a little shout out to Maggie Day as well. And uh, also a huge, huge thanks to uh, Terry and Jesse and all their work. I love Jesse. And I'm sure you do too. I love Terry too. Um, if you're joining us for the first time uh, in this video version of our Sunday liturgy, welcome. And uh, you're also coming in right at the end of this sermon series. So uh, luckily for you, John is following a pretty classic sermon format. So he's laid out his argument at the beginning, circled back on main themes around life and love and truth, coming at them from all different angles, and now we're into the conclusion, and he's restating a lot of this over and over again. So I think if you're just joining, you'll be able to catch up and kind of uh, enter in no problem. We've called this series Lessons in Love, and we've been looking at how uh, three things, God is love, how we see this most clearly in Jesus, and in Christ we become God's love. And uh, just, that phrase, hopefully it's up on the screen there, you can see it, but I've been thinking a lot about um, the four directions. And if you've been around Artisan for a while, you'd be familiar with these directions, either in a neighborhood group setting or something else, upward, inward, outward, withward. These are ways that we practice the way of Jesus. And I see this in these three statements, kind of um, oddly in there, but I think it works, is upward, our relationship to God, that he's love, seen most clearly in Jesus. Uh, inward, our relationship to ourselves and seeing God affects how we see ourselves. Outward, we become God's love to others. And withward, the language in, in those statements is we. Uh, we're in this together. Even if we can't gather regularly to see each other, uh, there's still a whole community connected under the name Artisan Church. And we get to see certain faces on the video, but just a reminder that we are in this together, the withward part of it. I'm going to just jump in and read the text this morning. We're going to go to John, 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 to 12. So uh, follow along. You can either listen to me read it or follow along in a Bible or an app version of it. Chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. 
He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of God. So many things happening in this passage. Uh, So many points. John is repeating and double repeating themes and variations on themes. We don't even have time to go through it all. Um, Just to give you an idea of how much is jammed in here, about 30 minutes before this, I cut about three pages of the sermon because it's just too long. Um, So I think you could probably fit about three or five or a dozen sermons just in this text alone. Um, And I guess one question I want to ask you is, as you hear it, how does it sit with you? Because there is so much happening. Uh, Does it sometimes seem confusing? The spirit, water, and blood. It's kind of interesting language. Um, If you are confused, don't worry. Uh, Theologians over the centuries have been baffled by these ideas. And uh, to be honest, some of it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Just that part, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life seems so final and absolute. Phrases like this have been the reason many have had a bad taste in their mouth toward God and Christianity, this kind of exclusive narrative. And I find the words of Cynthia Jarvis really, really comforting. She says, phrases like this have been used by religion as a gauntlet thrown down before those who do not believe God was in Christ. Um, She continues, Instead of hearing the exclusivity of the Christian claim in John, consider the pains Jesus takes to assure us that we come to God by God's initiative in Christ. We are not the actors here. I think that's really good news. Um, And I've come to believe that it's not as black and white uh, as it may sound like believe or don't believe, or you're in or you're out. Um, So let's just pause right here and let's talk a bit about belief. The very first line in this passage, everyone who believes, it says. Um, Just this last week, I was at a soccer practice for my son. I was watching from the sidelines, standing next to a few other parents. And uh, I noticed this one dad there and uh, I thought, I'll say, hey, we'll start up a conversation. Most people will start with like, hey, crazy weather we're having or nice boots, where'd you get them? Um, I chose uh, to say, you American? (laughs) And uh, in my my defense, he was watching on his phone, this was last Tuesday during the presidential election, 
um, he was watching the results on his phone on the sidelines, so I was justified in asking. But it was a bold move. You, you American? And he said, no, just interested. And then he went right in. He said, I'm worried Trump is going to run away with it. And he went even further. He said, um, a bunch of hicks voted for him, and I don't understand it. He went even further. I believe that religion is the most dangerous thing in our society today. And I'm just standing there like, all right. And uh, serves me, right, for trying to be friendly. And then he goes on in this rant, uh, talking about back in the day when early Christians, the, the death rate was so big and the life expectancy was so low, people dying from diseases, they needed a crutch like Christianity to make sense of the world. This was a man with very strong beliefs. Um, Nelson shared this article uh, from a science journalist, Graham Lawton. Um, this is interesting about beliefs. Beliefs define how we see the world and act within it. Without them, there would be no plots to behead soldiers, no war, no economic crisis, no racism, and no showdowns between musicians. There would also be no cathedrals, no nature reserves, no science and no art. Whatever beliefs you hold, it's hard to imagine life without them. Beliefs more than anything else are what make us human. Oh, I maybe I've opened up a can here, but <laughs> beliefs can be so dangerous uh, if they're carried too far or held too tightly or placed in the wrong thing. They can cause great, great harm. On the other hand, and what great Graham Lawton here is saying, beliefs also hold the potential for incredible beauty and goodness. There's no way the civil rights movement would have existed without belief or the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, we're seeing this clash of beliefs happen, speaking of the U.S. election, uh, just south of the border. Um, it doesn't even seem possible right now for the sides to talk anymore. Everyone's just shouting different things. It reminded me of these words, Dan White Jr., if you don't care to find some common ground with people that you disagree with, you've been radicalized. If you don't care to find some common ground with people you disagree with, you've been radicalized. We all hold beliefs about what's wrong, what's right, our politics, our opinions, about what was the right trade for the sports team thing, <laughs> about <laughs> beliefs about what's funny, what's beautiful, what's important. Uh, for instance, I believe with my whole heart that Radiohead's Kid A is one of the best albums of all time. My wife, on the other hand, does not share this belief with me. Where I find it uplifting and inspiring, she finds it repetitive, dark, and depressing. The point is we, we all have beliefs, sometimes uh, strong beliefs, sometimes different beliefs. And uh, as Audre Lorde said, it is not our differences that divide us. It is our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. And these words have some weight coming from a black lesbian mother warrior poet, her words. Um, and I think this is where a reframed understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about belief is helpful. Um, we actually spent 
a few months last year, I don't know if you remember this, if you were around talking about this very thing. You might not remember it because we were in person. We were gathering at a place called the Japanese Hall. I don't know if you remember it. <laughs> it was a real thing. We met for worship and uh, yeah, the memories are so foggy, but I think there was music. And <laughs> I, think we even, I think we even held hands at one point. Um, but we went through the series on the Apostles' Creed and we talked a lot about this word because it shows up in the creed, I believe. Pistuo in Greek. And one way to understand what we're saying when we say I believe is by looking at it this way. We are believing into or actively trusting or living in a relationship of commitment toward. What we are not saying is that I know. I'm completely certain or um, I'm turning a blind eye to reasonable verified facts in order to remain religious. So when we say I believe in Jesus, we're saying that we are believing into Jesus, actively trusting Jesus, living in a relationship of commitment toward Jesus. I think it's so, so helpful because belief can become this cognitive thing where it's like you either got it or you don't. Um, and one thing I've noticed during COVID is, and it's a question I have, but what happens when these beliefs change or wane? Uh, because uh, I know this is a question that many of us are asking. The pandemic seems to heighten uh, this disconnect. Not being able to gather might be part of that. Um, then when we're not gathering, we're wondering why do we even go to church in the first place? Then we're wondering maybe is it even all true? or if it was just a habit that reinforced a truth? Um, these are really big questions. Um, Daniel Taylor, a self-described Christian humanist, encourages Christians to embrace skepticism in their faith. He said that skepticism isn't the antithesis of faith. Um, and he would encourage us to have a little chat with your inner atheist to acknowledge its voice within, to engage it with curiosity, and try not to shut it down, and to be kind. Sometimes those chats can be difficult. He says, if I doubt and yet still commit, then I have faith. My definition of faith is as follows, Daniel Taylor says, faith is believing and committing to something despite uncertainty. Christian faith is believing and committing to living out the core claims of Christianity despite uncertainty. It is not irrational to commit to something about which one is uncertain. It is irrational to commit only to things in life which we are certain, since those things are just a small slice of life and do not include that which is most important. Uh, as I said, so much of our world, our modern world, is cognitive. Uh, the way we approach belief is, what do we know? What do we believe? And we kind of think up here. And when this cognitive belief is disrupted, it throws off our balance, maybe even causes us to crash. So the way John talks about belief, and maybe we can learn something here from our pre-modern, early Christian brothers and sisters, is deeply linked to practice. This is why, as a church, we don't say we're believing God in the renewal of all things. 
what do we say? We are joining God. Good job. <laughs> belief. This is this is totally revolutionary and totally not new. That belief is linked to practice, especially in this church community. We talk a lot about this. It's holistic and active. It's not just up here. And this is not a surprise in John's letter as well. He's been talking about this all throughout the letter. Um, perhaps then an antidote to waning faith is leaning into the practice of faith. The same way that an antidote to any relationship that is waning in love is trying to love again, to lean into the practice of love. Those little small practices of, hey, how's it going? A back rub, washing the dishes, opening a door, delivering a gift. So John talks about a lot about the practices of love and obedience. And uh, we're going to quickly go through uh, the rest of the, the chapter. I've only spent this first time on the first half of the first verse. So you can see there's so much in this. Um, verse 1 to 5 uh, John talks about love for God's children and obedience to his commands. Uh, so the love for his children, this is John's logic. When you love God, you're one of his kids. That means you need to love his other kids. Seems sound. I think I get it. But I think the reason it's so hard is because he's not talking about loving just anyone here. Like your neighbor that has a conflicting view to yours. In some ways, I find that oddly easier. Like my neighbor, he's, he's not a Christian. He doesn't believe the same thing I do. But when it's a, a fellow Christian, I find that really, really hard to do what Audre Lorde said, to recognize, accept, and even celebrate. Oh gosh, that's so hard. And I'm not saying there's instances where we need to break fellowship, uh, but maybe it's not our first response. Um, verse 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So practice or obedience. The evidence, if you will, of belief in Christ and love for God is seen in our practice. John's saying that a true faith means a changed life. It means an altered course. It's moving in a new direction. But, and he's quick to say it, this is uh, an expectation that should not feel heavy at all. Verse 3, in fact, this love for God to keep his commandments, uh, sorry, this is love for God to keep his commandments and his commandments, his commands are not burdensome, he says. So perhaps a good question, if you are feeling that the way of Jesus is burdensome and heavy, um, where might that be coming from? Is that something you're putting on yourself? Is that something uh, coming from someone or something else? Uh, maybe good to dig into that. According to John, the way of Jesus is not burdensome. And remember from last week, I think it was, Nelson uh, talked about God is love. Remember that? <laughs> God is love? Yeah, he is. Remember also that Jesus himself said, all of the laws and commandments, all of the prophet's words, Essentially, all of the words in the Old Testament, the commands, the rules, everything, the guidelines that are listed in there can be summed up in this simple yet extremely difficult and challenging phrase known as the double love command. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself took it upon himself to make this very clear. In Matthew's gospel, we read these familiar words when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way of the world, in contrast, is the antithesis of the way of Jesus. And by the world, I'm, I feel like I'm doing this a lot, the world, <laughs> I guess everything is in quotations, but by the world, John is referring to systems and power structures that set themselves up against God. According to the way of the world, if you want to get close to rich, powerful, successful people, you have to do so by convincing them you're not a loser. You have to make them believe you belong with the winners. Hashtag winning. With Jesus, it's totally the other way around. John says, the victory that conquers the world, there you go, <laughs> is the saving death of Jesus. When John uses language about uh, victory or conquering or overcoming, uh, like Jesse and Terry noticed, he's not like a superhero swooping down to beat up the bad guy. The victory, oh my goodness. <laughs> Let's retake this. Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> I'm joking. The victory comes in the sense that our faith aligns us with a better way of being human. A way that's not about self-centeredness and self-deception. A way that doesn't reduce people to functions. A way that does not mix well with conventional power politics. We like to call it the Jesus way. One theologian said, all others win victories by fighting. This one, by suffering. All other gods exercise power by killing. This one, by dying. In God's administration, winning comes through losing. We overcome by dying. Victory is cross-shaped. Jesus redefines what winning looks like. And the good news is we don't have to wait for this life to come to us. Because of the threefold witness that John talks about, and again, this is where I could go off into a long tangent, but I'm not. The Spirit, Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the threefold witness, blood, water, Spirit. Eternal life is not just something for a far off future, but here and now. I want to close with these words from Brian Zond, who says that Jesus is the true and living Word of God. Jesus is what the law and prophets point toward and bow to. Jesus is what the Old Testament was trying to say but could never fully articulate. Jesus is the perfect word of God in the form of a human life. God couldn't say all he wanted to say in the form of a book, so he said it in the form of Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. I love that so much. Jesus is what God has to say. It's kind of this weird counterintuitive sentence, but it, may, it means so much. He's saying it's not cognitive. Belief is not cognitive. It's holistic. It's living. It's a person. 
Jesus is what God has to say. And as we come to the table, a practice that helps us believe into Jesus or actively trust Jesus to live in a relationship of commitment toward him, I want to invite you to uh, respond in a few ways. One is where you're at, um, whether you're watching on your phone, whether it seems so foolish to do so, is to sing and to sing out loud and maybe even sing loudly. Another way that you can participate is by uh, taking communion, taking the, bre the bread and the wine or the juice. And then finally, um, another way we can respond today is just by simply listening. What is the Spirit saying to us in this moment? I'm so inspired by this woman, Anne Lamott, and uh, I think she would say in this moment, don't rush. And I'm quoting her when she says, uh, she's talking about prayer. The amen is only as good as the attitude. If you're trying to finish up quickly so you can check your cell phone messages, you are missing the chance to spend quiet moments with the giver of life and the eternal, which means you may reap continued feelings of life racing along without you. So take a breath, pause, listen, sing, take communion if you can. And um, I'm just gonna lead us in the table that needs